0: Hello and welcome, my name is Dan Marshall and you're listening to the Sheffield Libraries Podcast. As part of the Lord Mayor's big read, we're interviewing some famous faces and other interesting local people about the books they love. In this episode, I chat with Tim Cooper, the author of the excellent book, The Story of Sheffield. As well as discussing Tim's recommended reads, we delve into Sheffield's past, present and future. hope you enjoy the episode. Tim Cooper, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thanks Dan. So Tim, you are the author of The Story of Sheffield. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, this this was a commission that came uh, right out the blue. Um, These days I work mainly in the kind of student support part of the university. I work with international students and I hadn't done any active history for a little while actually um I I started I first came to Sheffield in 1990 to work as a historian and archaeologist at the university but you know I changed careers and blah 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 um but in recent years I've been doing for about the past 10 years or so I've been doing um what we call local history books for international students, and these these are quite popular. And uh, out of the blue, in about 2015, I got um, an email from the History Press, uh, you know, one of the big publishers of local history, and they said, would I be interested in writing a book called The Story of Sheffield? and uh, I did ask them I said why did you ask me because there's you know there's a lot of historians out there who are sort of more active than I am a lot of the time and they said oh we googled um, Sheffield local history and your name came up and it turned out it came up in association with the walks I do with university students anyway it was a, it was a really nice um, uh, thing uh, a nice surprise really um, I've, I've, I've worked on Sheffield as a historian archaeologist in a sort of piecemeal way since the early 90s uh, working mainly with archaeologists so to be given a brief and, and a nice title as well the story of Sheffield I like that it's in a series they do called the story of um, one of the things that made me definitely take it on was that the last one they did in they'd done in the series it was called The Story of Leeds and I thought well if Leeds has been done yeah we've got to get Sheffield in there Absolutely. and uh, yeah yeah that was it so it sort of um, came a bit out of the blue to be honest yeah yeah I mean I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and it's a cracking read and I, I really
0: like how you sweep us from prehistory to the present day via rebels and radicals and outlaws and industrialists and creatives and you know, world changes along the way it's it's a brilliant story and yeah it it,
1: it needed telling i think um how long did it take well <laughs> so they get, i signed a contract for a year which i knew was going to be optimistic <laughs> um but they kind of thought they must have thought i had this in the bag i just needed to type it up it ended up taking by the time it was published last year all in all about five years um yeah it came out in november 21 i started it in the autumn of 2015. um it, it, it it's i'd say to anyone it's you can write significant books while you're holding down a nine to five job but you do have to be pretty disciplined um and You know, it came in in kind of spurts to a certain extent. I would have a few months when I really was good at writing in the evenings at weekends, uh, telling my wife, sorry, I can't do blah, blah, because I've got to write and work on the book. I mean, it just became after a bit, it was like, oh, I'm writing the book, I'm writing the book Uh, and you try and get stuff done. There was inevitably periods where I had to drop it for a while um, and then pick it up again and sort of, yeah, I've got loads of notes on Google Drive and everything. But there's times where you think, now, where am I with this? um so yeah five years um i guess so, this is a yeah <laughs> it's a book
0: covering twenty thousand years there's a lot of research
1: going into a book like that five years doesn't seem so bad really that's right i just had to you know have some um email correspondence with the publishers who were very good and say yep not quite i, I was basically delaying it for a year for a year for a year for a year i, th- I think the big thing with me um on, on this book uh you know quite a serious point was that you know at first I thought yeah I, I I could rattle something off but quite seriously the more I sort of got into proper research on Sheffield I thought that just like you've said just then Dan there is a story to be told I genuinely believe that Sheffield has one of the most interesting historical stories of any town in the country I mean uh, you know it's hard to be objective but I'm not a Sheffielder I was born a Originally in Birmingham, so you know I haven't got a sort of axe to grind. Pardon the the metalworking pun, mm-hmm. um, but you know it, it seemed to me this is significant stuff. It also seemed to me that I don't know how much how many history books I'll write again, and and so if I'm going to write something with such a great title as the story of Shepherd, I want to put myself into it. Um, and i thought yeah i i've I've got to give give it a bit of time. I can't just sort of you know phone it in uh, and it became uh it became definitely a labor but a, a labor of love, I think over the course of five years.
0: I think that comes through really strongly, and you can't
1: you can't read this book <clears throat> and not appreciate that it's also a love letter to the city. Do you know yeah. what? i was almost gonna say that it's me paying something back to this city i like the idea of love letter and and if that comes out then i love that um i i I say to people i think i fell in love with this city when i first got to know it i came here first um two of my brothers were students actually one at the university in the medical school one at what was then the, the polytechnic now, Sheffield Hallam University. And uh, so this was the early 80s, and I sort of just immediately liked something about Sheffield. I couldn't define what it was. Um, it was something about a strong sense of community. I liked this, the idea it had these little, you know, my br- one brother was living in nether green. Somebody was living somewhere, you know, there were li- these little bits that seemed to have their semi autonomy. And. Um, and of course, getting to know Sheffield a bit in the early '80s. This was this was a this was a critical time for Sheffield. Um, we were using phrases like, you know, the the People's Republic of South Yorkshire, and those of us who were, you know, fairly young and rebellious in the in the early '80s liked that, liked that as a badge. That really attracted me to Sheffield, um, and it just seemed to have a kind of honesty about it. It really did, and so yeah, I did various bits of um, historical study on Sheffield. I was involved in work that was going on when they were redoing the Ring Road, um, a couple of the castle excavations, um, mill sands over at Bramall Lane where student accommodation was going up. You know, so I got bits of of, of what Sheffield was doing. You know, it's it's industry, it's society, how different that was. Um, And to get an opportunity to kind of piece that together. And, and sort of, as you say, give that back to the city. I think that really, that really appealed to me. So this series of podcasts
0: is part of the Lord Mayor's Big Read. And during that, we're interviewing a whole, whole bunch of, uh, of local people with interesting stories to tell. And we're asking them to tell us about three books that mean something to them or three books they can
1: recommend. Would you like to tell us about your first? sure Um, I've kind of I've picked something a little bit obscure for my first one Dan Um, it might even be out of print but this is Samuel Bamford's passages in the life of a radical Um, and this I first came across this is a book it's well thumbed my copy of this as -hmm. as you can see Um, in uh, one of my little career changes, it came out of history, but about uh, early 2000s, I was working, I had about five years when I was working, making um, dramatized television history documentaries. And um, probably the, the big one I did was was on the Peterloo Massacre, came out in about 2001, something like that. And I did a lot of reading for that. Um, I'm a medieval historian by by origin. so So for modern stuff, I had to do a lot of reading. And um, Samuel Bamford was the leader of the Middleton group that went to the um, uh, parades, that went to the meeting on St Peter's Field in Manchester that day in uh, the summer of 1819. And I was struck by the vividness of his descriptions. You know, he's he's an incredible writer and he he wrote a lot in Lancashire dialect, which is remarkable. Uh, He was a weaver. He was from that very working-class background of people just outside Manchester. And, yeah, just a very, very vivid writer. And probably of from that period, one of the people who gives us the most vivid descriptions of the working class at that time. And their kind of struggle, but he, he doesn't say, you know, it's not in a kind of polemical way. It's not kind of like, oh, you know, we're struggling as the thing. It it's It's the real honest sort of graft of somebody who, who's, you know, he becomes a serious political radical. He's really pitched against the authorities, but he's doing it in a very sort of noble way, I see it. He does it by encouraging his fellow working class people to go to reading rooms, to educate themselves, to give themselves power through reading, through self-education, through self-instruction. And I really admire that in him. Um, It's, uh, and it's a damn good read. He also, I've got to tell you this, Dan, I mean, I'm, um, you and I both like walking in the outdoors. Um, he was a great walker. You know, for example, uh, he wanted to find out more about um, Cockneys in London. So he he walked all the way to London. He would do, you know, 25 mile a day walks, stay in a pub, light himself up a pipe of tobacco, have a couple of pints of ale, go to bed, another 25 miles the next day. That's dedication. That what
0: a guy. What a guy. He's, exactly. Yeah. Say no more. Fantastic. Um, you mentioned Peterloo, and he was at Peterloo. Sheffield, over the years, and you covered cover this in your book, and it's
1: had its own Peterloo-like moments. It has. Um, I mean, I think one of the things I wanted to get out strongly in the book, and I, I, I think I've succeeded, hopefully, from, from comments I get, is Sheffield during the French Revolutionary period. Um A a very, you know, very powerful working class led radical reform movement in Sheffield. And I think Sheffield had, uh, it probably had a number of Peterloo moments, but the one I often think about is the so-called Battle of Norfolk Street, uh, August 1795. I partly think of it because if you go to Norfolk Street now in the centre of town, you know, it's fairly sort of quiet and genteel. You wouldn't think that this is where there was you know, a mini little massacre in, in Sheffield on that day. Um, there was a military parade. Uh, there was um, a gathering of people quite spontaneously protesting about the price of bread. The uh, Things we can relate to at the moment, actually, mm, you know, absolutely. sort of there, there was a cost of living crisis, you know, at this time. Um, the war in europe you know a bit like we've got now there was the war obviously the napoleonic wars were exacerbating everything the revolutionary wars um and people were were protesting um and anyway to cut the a long story short the the leader, the, the colonel of the military regiment, um, got his troops to fire on the crowd. He also went in personally on his horseback with his own sabre, very much echoing what was to happen later at Loo or, or foreshadowing it. Um, and four people were killed, a number of people were injured, and this became a defining moment for the Sheffield working class. Um, Joseph Mather, the so-called Alehouse poet, wrote one of his most famous songs called The Battle of uh, uh, Norfolk Street. Um, Sheffield reformers like Montgomery were um, taken to court, were prosecuted and imprisoned simply for publishing this song. Uh, The song basically said that... um, this was willful ho- homicide. You know, this was this was this was murder essentially. There was no justification. The colonel had had been um, exonerated uh, by the courts, which was typical of what happened at the time. So I think, yeah, the Battle of Norfolk Street, seventeen ninety-five. It's it's one of those things. In a way, I'd like more Sheffield people to know about uh, because it's it's a defining moment in in what becomes. I think a key part of Sheffield's story which is yeah. it is kind of if not rebellion then there's a rebelliousness I've got a strong independent spirit no doubt about it this
0: is why your book's so important people need to hear these stories need to understand these stories it's
1: a, and it's yeah. a fascinating story as well yeah um so let's move on to your second book yeah, so my second book, um, this is a book I've chosen because it really influenced my work um as a historian working on Sheffield. And this is David Price's Sheffield Troublemakers, subtitled Rebels and Radicals in Sheffield History. Um, I this this is a fundamental, this should needs to be on the bookshelves of anybody who's got a serious interest in Sheffield and and um it's really brings out the long period I'm just going to quick look and see how far David goes back and one of my great pleasures recently by the way has been to to get together with um David who I didn't know when I was writing my book and we had we had a lovely coffee recently in a cafe in NetherEdge and uh, discussed a lot of stuff of mutual interest yeah he goes back to the kind of um time of the French Revolution and right up to you know communists in the modern era um radical clergymen um, and the only kind of difference of sort of stress really between myself and, and David is that um, in a way his book singles out individuals a bit like, you know, uh, you know, Sheffield troublemakers, these, these are individuals causing trouble. Um, I kind of um, developed this theme, I think, in my own book to make the point that I think this is Sheffielders generally you know yes there's there's leaders like you know the ones that he he mentions obviously like uh, Samuel Holbury is, is is the big one the the leader of the potential Sheffield revolution um, in 1840 um, but what it, he and I are both amazed by is that Paradise Square another you know another quiet lovely lovely place in the in the middle of Sheffield it, it's Sheffield's only nod to kind of real good georgian architecture of the type you get in london you get in liverpool as well actually Um, but from the french revolutionary period right through to the chartist period so the mid-victorian period you're regularly getting twenty thousand people gathering in 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 that place i mean not gathering they must have been packed and what are they doing they're supporting the french revolution they're calling at one point um the Chartist leader Ironside is essentially calling for the creation of a welfare state. Um, at another meeting, there's a call for a federation of of the states of Europe. You know, sort of foreshadowing the EU. Um, incredible radical stuff coming from the people of Sheffield. They are great supporters of the abolition of slavery, for example. When they, whenever Sheffield petitions are drawn up, thousands of people are signing them. And and what was striking me is that if you're getting 20,000 people in Sheffield supporting the French Revolution at a meeting, that was sort of half the adult population of the town at the time. You know, this isn't a marginal activity. This isn't a few firebrands. This is the people of a town saying, this is what we believe in. And, you know, one of the things I had to do in my own book is, is explain why this was. What was it about Sheffield? that meant that its people were generally sort of more radical and you know um, i'll leave people to read the book but a lot of it has to do with um the cutlery industry very much people being their own bosses that unlike manchester say where you've got big big factories with a single boss ruling the place even you know Looking after time, there's always a big clock on top of the the mill and stuff like that. In Sheffield, you've got independent workers thinking independently. Um, they are uh, nonconformists in religion, and they are uh, radicals in politics. And I think I think that's what comes out. So yeah, David's book absolutely crucial to me in getting some of the detail on, on on what I I felt was an emerging general picture. Um he's um I, I think the very fact that he looked at individuals really helped me assemble the bigger picture I'd say. Yeah. I would echo what you
0: said. He's he's a lovely man as well. Thank Gives and a great a talk. Um, his other book, which I believe is called Welcome to Sheffield, which yes. tells the story of immigration um to the cities is also well worth a read so
1: let's move on to your third book so my third book on one level um jumps uh, is a bit of a jump because it's not history as such um but sheffield is very much the theme and that's the latest book by jarvis cocker and it's called good pop bad pop an inventory by jarvis cocker <laughs> i'm looking at it now lovely cover by the way lovely cover listeners go and have a look at it. so you're going to ask me why this book i, I imagined <laughs> well yeah yeah why does it speak to you Why? Well, I mean, ah i mean i you. love
0: jarvis cocker and yeah, yeah. Pope, and and uh i yeah. think i'm the only person in sheffield that didn't get tickets for the uh the gigs this oh, summer no. but um i know oh, i know no. not... i didn't
1: either if that makes you feel any oh. i tried and 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 failed um good i like the way you've asked how does it speak to me because i i felt it really did speak to me um Probably it spoke to me most. Um, Not so much because of the Sheffield thing, funny enough. Um, Jarvis Cocker is slightly younger than me, but we're the same generation. what we have in common, though, of course, he made much more of a career out of it. I just wanted to make a career out of it. Um, in the early eighties, uh, all I wanted to do was be in a group. I wanted, to, and I was in a group for a few years in Birmingham. Um, that's all I wanted to do. I saw myself wanting to be a musician, uh, wanted to be a pop star, really. Um, and what really resonated to me about this book by Jarvis, which is fantastic, by the way, what he does is he, he he's up in his attic. Going through all the rubbish that he's collected through a lifetime and deciding shall I throw it out or shall I keep it and and he he takes us through his reasons why he either keeps things or throws them away and incidentally along the way it's a fantastic autobiography you know I I literally I got this for my birthday in uh, from my wife in in August and I literally read it all day and finished it in a day I just couldn't put that it was down. It's always a good sign. Yeah, exactly, and. To me, the thing that really got me was that. It was the experiences of somebody um, wanting to be a pop star in that period and and why that was. A bit I highlighted was what we would have had in common this generation is growing up in the 70s as, as young people, teenagers in the 70s, when pop music, I'll use that term, uh, and that's why I like his title, permeate permeated everything we did it was the big thing the charts the singles charts were you know everything to us and he has a brilliant phrase he says it's a combination the charts were a combination of i think he says democracy and commercialism mm-hmm. because it was democrat i love that phrase democratic in the sense that we went out and bought the, the records and that created the charts right it got to number three because loads of us have bought it it's almost like we're voting commercialism obviously because it's 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 making money but that gets it perfectly and and you know at the risk of sounding like you know the old man looking back uh, you know to some golden age I, I think what you don't get in the kind of downlaid load download age is this sense of what the record charts, you know, the, the the way it really fired us up. We thought it was really important. He mentions, you know, people bringing their transistor radios into school on a Wednesday to hear the midweek chart and things like that. Uh, my wife talks about, you know, being under the covers um, when you're supposed to be in bed and so on at, at night and listening to the, to the chart with your little radio. Um, and therefore that culture and and so many of us wanting to be pop stars, musicians, uh, you know, and and I think one of the big questions is, well, you know, how did Jarvis Cocker spend so long to, trying to get his band going, the various versions of his band? How would you afford that kind of thing? And what he reminds us is things like, you know, you 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 signed on. You know, there was a, a totally different culture then of sort of um, you know, long, long gone of sort of being able to support yourself by signing on while and of course, Sheffield, more than anywhere else I know, had a council that really supported young people, things like red tape studios that I mentioned in my book. and i I noticed when I first came up to Sheffield, really helping encouraging young people, for goodness sake, you just can't imagine this. Now, young people being encouraged to do things like experimental art, theater, music, and things like that, and Jarvis is a a product of that. Um, And hey, you know, if I had grown up in Sheffield rather than Birmingham and had the kind of leg up that Sheffield has given to people, I might have been the Jarvis Cocker you know, but as it as it is, I'm I'm the historian, and he's the world-renowned musician, <laughs> artist, pop star. I mean, he's he's a cultural icon now. And and uh, you you'll know Dan that I I, I put that uh, Bubba 2000s um, artwork of uh, Jarvis that's on the Fat Cat pub in Callum Island on the front of my book because it just seems to you know that image of him really seems to sum up that Sheffield's attitude. I think it is I've completely buy into
0: that, so I mean you've you just mentioned how, how Sheffield has changed um I think during your time in Sheffield, what are your thoughts about the future? your feelings for how the city is developing, where it's going? Are you optimistic
1: that's uh, that's that's the Maybe question that's, that's yeah. too
0: big a question too no, it's question.
1: not. It's, it's it's not too big, it's just it's it's difficult um it's it's the right question um i i i am sort of divided right down the middle on one level i'm very optimistic um i'll tell you this, the the roots of my optimism i think it's in the sheffield communities thing so near to where i live i live in ecclesaw near to us we got you know Shara Vale and it's really noticeable in the years that the city centre has been you know, really struggling, particularly locally because of the, of the pandemic. Um, the localities, the sort of little areas around Sheffield, some of them are really sort of growing, if anything. You know, Charavale has, Vale you has know, a real sense of itself now. And there's markets and there's you know, cafes and there's, there's a buzz. And last night, um, I was out in Crooks at a, at a family thing, and I was just kind of walking through Crooks, um, and that set, had a sense of real kind of buzz about it, helped by the fact that there's students there as well, but there's cafes, there's international restaurants, there's, you know, all this kind of stuff, you know, it's it's it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, that to me is a large part of the positive. Um, I've also been a few times to Callum Island recently, which is, is uh, you know, when I first came to Sheffield, you know, whoa, you <laughs> wouldn't have been going to Callum Island or Leapsend End because, you know, this was, you know, industrial wasteland and it was shocking. The way that those areas are being rejuvenated, it's taking a long time. Um, but they are and, and it's exciting, you know, and things like peddler Market and the you know the cafes springing up all the, all the time. Um, you know against this, I think is simply one of the things that I that I think comes out in my book is one of the things that's different about Sheffield from from comparable cities, Birmingham, Leeds, Manchester. Um, historically, it doesn't have a strongly established middle class and all the civic stuff that comes with that, including the ability to attract big investment. Sheffield struggles with that more. What What's really keeping Sheffield going a lot is 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 the universities and and students. You know, as you know, there's a lot of building of of um, student accommodation and so on um but yeah the the challenge for Sheffield is to ride the storm that we're clearly in post-pandemic you know economically there's a there's a lot of stuff ahead without the kind of weight behind it that that a Manchester has that a Birmingham has am I optimistic actually like I think I am right I'm going to go for it um there are some really interesting things on the horizon. Obviously the steel industry was the big thing for Sheffield. Um, that collapsed in the 1980s. Um, it, it, it's risen from the ashes again, but there's things like um, the Advanced Manufacturing Research Center and things like that uh, in between Sheffield and Rotherham that, you know, like you, I should imagine, I'm, I'm on these kind of news new sites for Sheffield, so you get updates and through the university as well. And it seems to me that there is a lot of innovative industrial stuff that is starting to be attracted to Sheffield, and some very big companies, big industrial, uh, you know, concerns in international concerns. Um, so I think there is hope. I think um, I think Sheffield is going to have a period where it's it's, it's going to be up against it. But I think if I think about say five years from now, I think there's the possibility with this kind of regeneration of communities and a kind of re-establishing in a way of sheffield rotherham industry on on quite a sort of high tech level as well um yeah I, i'd be hopeful dan if we if we talk again in five years time um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go for it i th- i think um the, the people of sheffield you know this 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 is a Great city. These are people um, who have been through tough times, you know, for, for a couple of hundred years, <laughs> on and off. Um, I, I, th- I think these, I think these are storms that they can, they, they can get through. We can do this. We can do this, Dan. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Tim. That was a great talk. Um, I encourage everyone with uh, an interest or a love for Sheffield to to go out and buy the book. It's well worth the read. Thank you. Well, thanks for listening. My guest today was Tim Cooper, author of The Story of Sheffield, available to buy from all the usual places.